Chapter 2 What is the center of our problems? Is there a spiritual cause to our problems? Is the cause a lack of the Holy Spirit? Causes for the deficiency The Bible's answer is, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, according to the carnal mind, Romans 8, 5-7, that you may spend it on your pleasures, James 4, 2-3. Our Lord Jesus invited us lovingly and insistently to ask for the Holy Ghost, Luke 11, 9-13. We understand that we should do this continually. In the third chapter, we will look at this more closely. They talk about Christ and about the Holy Spirit, yet receive no benefit. They do not surrender the soul to be guided and controlled by the divine agencies. We have been praying for a revival for some time. This is very valuable. E.G. White said, It is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that the churches need today. Why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit, since this is the means by which we are to receive power? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, preach concerning it? It is good that we pray for revival, but we shouldn't only pray for it, but rather, as Mark Finley says, it is as we put into practice the biblical elements of revival. May I invite you to take the steps to personal revival. For many, this will lead to a more powerful and fulfilled life. To start with, we want to analyze the problem. We want to do this thoroughly, otherwise there is the danger that we will consider a change neither necessary nor important. After that, we want to look at God's solution, which offers us tremendous blessing. And finally, how can we implement this and experience this? Our lack of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that everything we have done and are doing is in vain. There were and are many very good plans and programs the Lord has surely blessed our human efforts. But how much greater the results and how much better the situation could be when we would actually live or live more closely with the Holy Ghost, only God knows that. It would have gone in this direction and would go in this direction in the future as Henry T. Blackaby expressed it. He, God, could do more in six months with the people that are devoted to him than we could do in 60 years without him. It is the question of immediately going the right way under God's leadership and thus having greater effectiveness, efficiency. That is the case when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Example, someone holds a sermon. He is done speaking. Maybe no one, a few, many or all accept the message. If many or all accepted the message and put it into practice, then this is great effectiveness. This is something the Holy Spirit gives. Three groups of people and their personal relationships to God. God's Word differentiates between three groups of people in respect to their personal relationships with God. Within each of these groups, there are many different shades depending on the parental training, character, training of oneself, age, culture, education, etc. But even with all the differences, there are only three basic attitudes towards God. No relationship. The Bible calls this the natural man. Full, real relationship. The Bible calls this person spiritual. 
divided or feigned relationship. The Bible describes this as a person of flesh or carnal. The terms natural, spiritual and carnal in God's word are not evaluations in this case. They merely describe a person's personal relationship to God. These three groups are described in 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 and 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. Right now, we only want to touch lightly on the subject of the natural man. He lives in the world. A quick glance at the two groups within the church will help us realize where the problem is mainly hidden. The most important thing to realize is to which group you belong. Thus, our examination also helps our self-diagnosis. We want to take a look at our own lives and not the lives of others. What are the criteria for designation in one group or the other? We will determine that in all three groups, the designation occurs according to their personal relationship with the Holy Ghost. The natural man. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man has absolutely no relationship with the Holy Ghost. He lives in the world and doesn't inquire about God at all or only rarely inquires about God. Spiritual and carnal are in the church. These two groups are mainly introduced in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 as well as in Romans 8, 1 through 17 and Galatians 4 and 6. We need to note that the criterion for these groups is their relationship to the Holy Ghost. This is so because God has stipulated that the Holy Ghost is our only connection to heaven. The Desire of Ages, page 322 and Matthew 12, 32. The heart must be open to the Spirit's influence or God's blessing cannot be received. The Spiritual Church Member Let's read 1 Corinthians 2, 15-16. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Isaiah 40, 13. But we have the mind of Christ. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual person is the true Christian. He is called spiritual because he is filled with the Holy Ghost. Here too, the relationship with the Holy Ghost is the criteria for the designation as a spiritual person. He has a good and growing relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the center of his life. We also say sometimes that Jesus is on our heart's throne. The spiritual person has committed himself essentially and completely to Jesus. And as a general rule, this is confirmed daily by surrendering himself to Jesus every morning with everything he is and has. In the Laodicea message, he is called hot. In the parable about the ten virgins, he is called wise. Romans 8, 1-17 and Galatians 5 say even more about him. He experiences life more abundantly, John 10.10, or as Paul expresses it, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians 3.19, Colossians 
2.9 The Carnal Church Member A person can be a member for a short time or for many years and still be a carnal Christian. If to your surprise you find that you are a carnal Christian at the moment, then don't be upset about it, but rather be glad because you have the possibility of changing it immediately. You will experience great joy through a life filled with the Holy Ghost. I am convinced that most carnal Christians are unknowingly in this condition and have a desire to experience more in their faith. Their ignorance is often not even their fault. Consider, you will experience great joy through a life with Christ in your heart through the Holy Ghost, Jesus in John 15, 11, and that your joy may be full. Through this change, you will step by step experience life abundantly, Jesus in John 10, 10. More on this later. And you will have well-founded hope for eternal life. Prayer. Father in heaven, please make me willing to ask myself this question. If I am a carnal Christian, then please help me to realize this right away. Make me willing to be willing for everything you want. Please lead me to a happy Christian life, to the promised life in abundance and to eternal life. Please renew my heart. Thank you for answering my prayer. Amen. Let's read what the Apostle Paul had to say to carnal church members in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1-4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Can you clearly see here that the criteria for the designation into this group is the personal relationship with the Holy Ghost? In these few verses, the Apostle Paul mentions four times that they are carnal. What does carnal mean? It means this person lives from the power of the flesh, that is the normal strength and abilities a person has. Furthermore, it means that he isn't filled with the Holy Ghost or isn't sufficiently filled with the Holy Ghost. Some people think this group only consists of people who live in blatant sin, but that is only one of the many shades within this group. I want to stress again that there are a lot of differences within each of these groups. Paul addressed the carnal people as dear brothers. This shows that he was dealing with church members. Paul couldn't speak to them as to spiritual people. That means that they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost or weren't sufficiently filled with the Holy Ghost. He had to speak to them as babes in Christ. This shows that they haven't grown in faith as they should have. A person can have great biblical knowledge and still not grow spiritually. Spiritual growth has to do with our complete dedication to Jesus and a constant life in the Holy Spirit. Many carnal Christians feel dissatisfaction, disappointment, purposelessness, or are under constant effort in their spiritual life. Other carnal church members have gotten used to this condition or are satisfied with this condition. They might say, we are just sinners. We can't do anything about it. Again, other carnal Christians might be enthusiastic. They are glad that they know biblical truth. 
carnal church members can be very active and even have leading positions in the local church or even in the church administration. They may even do a lot for God. Matthew 7, 22-23 Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Where did the problem lay? Jesus said that he didn't know them. They didn't have a real relationship with Christ, but rather only a feigned relationship. Either there hadn't been a real commitment or it hadn't been maintained. Jesus didn't live in their hearts through the Holy Ghost. Thus, they had no personal relationship with Christ, so there may be an apparent connection with Christ. When isn't Christ in us? I read some serious words about this. Before I mention them, I want to point out that we can be free from the following things if we live a life with the Holy Ghost. A spirit contrary to the Spirit of Christ would deny Him, whatever the profession. Men may deny Christ by evil speaking by foolish talking, by words that are untruthful or unkind. They may deny him by shunning life's burdens, by the pursuit of sinful pleasure. They may deny him by conforming to the world, by uncourteous behavior, by the love of their own opinions, by justifying self, by cherishing doubt, borrowing trouble and dwelling in darkness. In all these ways, they declare that Christ is not in them. This can quickly change by the grace of God. We will come back to this in the third and fifth section. Why is surrendering our lives and making a commitment to God important? God's word says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God desires to heal us, to set us free from the tyranny of our ego and the bondage of sin. But since this requires an entire transformation, a renewing of our whole nature, we must yield ourselves wholly to Him. Our ego is offended, jealous, annoyed, resentful, etc. God wants to free us of these attitudes. He, God, invites us to give ourselves to Him, that He may work His will in us. It remains for us to choose whether we will be set free from the bondage of sin to share the glorious liberty of the sons of God. God answers our basic commitment with rebirth, John 3, 1-21. After that, it has to do with staying surrendered, John 15, 1-17. We'll talk about this more in the third section. Morris Venden says about surrendering our lives to God, there is no such thing as a partial surrender. It is no more possible to be partially surrendered than it is possible to be a little pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. There is no middle ground. Ellen White said the following about daily surrender. Only those who will become co-workers with Christ, only those who will say, Lord, all I have and all I am is thine, will be acknowledged as sons and daughters of God. So a person can be in the church and still be lost. How tragic! The parable about the ten virgins and the message to the Laodicea church also illustrate this. Why is carnal Christianity so difficult to identify? 
Since a carnal person's life is filled with religion, he often doesn't realize that he is missing something vital, an intimate and saving relationship with God. If Christ isn't allowed to govern our whole life, then he is standing in front of the door knocking. Revelation 3.20 And he says, If this doesn't change, then I will spit you out. And something else plays a part. Through our strong doctrinal foundation, which is based on the Bible, we have strong convictions. At the same time, we will still want to stay open to further insights. We have the certainty that we believe the truth. That thrills us. We have a lot of good knowledge. We say the right things. That is what makes it so difficult to identify the carnal problem. Doesn't it play a role if I've ever really lived with the Holy Ghost? If not, then can I even notice the difference? A pastor wrote, I just received a call from a sister who is taking part in our 40-day prayer time, particulars about the 40-day prayer time in chapter 5. She said that it has changed her life. She had wondered her whole life what was missing in her spiritual life, and now she knew the Holy Ghost. I wish you could have heard her testimony. She said that she noticed for the first time in her life that she has a relationship with God. Others have also already noticed the change in her life. We can see that a person can notice that something is missing, but doesn't know what. Many have a desire for more and don't know what it is or how to get it. I'm thankful that 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4 uses the word still there, for you are still carnal. This shows us that it is possible for the carnal person to become spiritual. No one has to remain carnal. Since he is in the church, he has a good chance to realize this and change it. We will talk later about how you can become spiritual. Another aspect to consider is envy and strife, or as the NIV says, there is jealousy and quarreling among you. This behavior proves to Paul that the carnal church members are not living through God's Spirit, but rather acting carnally, just like other people. They can act just like natural people, albeit in religious packaging. Does this mean that tensions in the church stem mainly from carnal-minded church members? See Jude verse 19. At the time of Jesus, didn't the Pharisees and Sadducees rival with each other? This means that already back then, there were tensions between the conservatives and the liberals or progressives. One group was very particular, and the other took things loosely. But both were convinced that they had the correct Bible interpretation and attitude. But Jesus shows us that both groups were carnal, meaning not filled with the Holy Spirit. The same thing is possible today. Conservative Christians can also be carnal Christians. Unfortunately, people often look through the glasses of conservative or liberal or progressive. The advantage is that the observer comes off well. However, with the biblical classification of carnal or spiritual, we are challenged to take spiritual inventory. We should do this for our own good. Consider what God clearly tells us in Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 8. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The carnal person wants to follow Jesus and please him, 
but he hasn't surrendered his whole life to Jesus. Or if he has, then he has backslidden somehow. Galatians 3.3, Revelation 2, 4-5. That means that he, maybe unconsciously, wants to live according to God's will and his own wishes simultaneously. But that doesn't work. Ultimately, he is carrying his own life in his hands. As the saying goes, there are two souls dwelling in his breast. Can God send the Holy Spirit in such a case? James 4.3 gives this answer. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. I have come to the conclusion that it means asking with a carnal attitude. Wouldn't an answer to such a request only boost the ego? Consequently, this church member is living through normal human powers and abilities. In Revelation 3.16, this is called lukewarm. And in Matthew 25, foolish. Why does Jesus call the carnal church members lukewarm? Why is it that so many Christians are lacking an experience with the Holy Ghost? In order to answer this question, we will first have to take a look at the Laodicea phenomenon. Why did Jesus call the believers in the Laodicea church lukewarm? He gave us a clear indicator. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20 Jesus wasn't the center of the lives of the believers, but rather outside. He was standing outside in front of the door. Why didn't he go in? Because he hadn't been invited. He doesn't force his way in because he respects our free will decision. Why do believers leave Jesus outside in front of the door? There are different causes and reasons for this. Some only move on a purely intellectual and cognitive plane in their spiritual lives, like the scribe Nicodemus, and don't understand what the Christian life is all about. Compare with John 3, 1 through 10. For others, the price of discipleship is too high. They have to give up too much, like the rich young ruler. Compare with Matthew 19, 16 through 24. To follow Jesus, it requires self-denial and the willingness to change his life. Compare with Matthew 16, 24 to 25. And completely surrender himself to God. Romans 12, 1. Leaving Jesus outside can be caused by pure negligence insufficient time in personal fellowship with Jesus. I repeat, the reason for the lukewarmness in Revelation 3.20 is, Behold, I stand at the door. Jesus is not in the center of their lives, but rather outside or on the sidelines. So the lukewarmness relates to the personal relationship with Christ. In other areas, the person concerned definitely doesn't have to be lukewarm. An example, a man can invest a lot in his vocation and at the same time neglect his wife. He is committed to his job, but lukewarm in his marriage relationship. A person can even be a committed church member, a diligent church leader or pastor or president, and still be lukewarm in his relationship with Christ. The person is so dedicated to accomplishing a lot of tasks that he neglects his personal relationship with Christ. This is the lukewarmness that Jesus once removed. It is tragic that a person can be so busy with God's work in the church and mission work that he neglects the Lord of the work. The Parable of the Ten Virgins 
What does Jesus' parable of the ten virgins show us in respect to the spiritual and carnal church members? All ten were virgins. All had pure biblical beliefs. All had lamps. All had the Bible. All of them went to meet the bridegroom. All of them looked forward to the second coming. All of them went to sleep. All heard the call and woke up. All prepared their lamps. All the lamps were burning. Half of them noticed that their lamps were going out. All of them prepared their lamps and all of the lamps were burning. But burning lamps need oil. Energy was used. After a short time, five of them noticed that their lamps were going out. The lamps of the foolish virgins that only burn for a short time show us that they did have something from the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't enough. There was too little oil. That was the only difference. When the five came asking to be let in, Jesus answered, I do not know you. They were too late in attending to the oil, the Holy Ghost. The door remained closed. Jesus' statement shows us that our personal relationship with Him have something to do with the Holy Ghost. Whoever doesn't let himself be led by the Holy Ghost won't be acknowledged by Jesus. In Romans 8, 8-9, it says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Actually, we only have a real personal relationship with Jesus through the Holy Ghost. 1 John 3.24 says, And by this we know that He, Jesus, abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This means that the assurance I have that I am filled with the Holy Ghost is at the same time the assurance that I am in Jesus and He is in me. This is exactly the experience the sister had who took part in the 40-day prayer time. Through the presence of the Holy Ghost in her life, she experienced her relationship with God in a completely different way and others noticed the change in her life. A sister from southern Germany wrote the following after she had studied this booklet. Together the book 40 Days Prayers and Devotions to Prepare for the Second Coming by Dennis Smith and this booklet have become a great and long-awaited blessing in my life. Just like many other church members and a sister from our church have experienced, something was always missing in our faith experience. And now we have the privilege of experiencing how Jesus has entered our lives and has begun to change us. He is still working on us and step by step is drawing us closer to Him. A brother wrote the following, The booklet Steps to Personal Revival deeply touched me. The chapter on the ten virgins, and especially on Romans 8 verse 9, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, greatly shocked me. Suddenly I wasn't sure if I had the Holy Ghost, and if he was working in me, because I am painfully missing the corresponding fruits in my life. This Sabbath afternoon I finished reading the booklet, and an infinitely deep sadness overwhelmed me. Then I read the prayer on page 108, and a deep desire rose in me to receive the Holy Ghost, that my heart would be changed and that God the Father would change me according to His will. Thank you for the booklets and the words which deeply moved me. AP. The greatest tragedy for the carnal Christian is that he won't receive eternal life if his condition doesn't change. Romans 8, 9. Now if anyone 
does not have the Spirit of Christ. He is not His. Now to summarize, the main difference between the spiritual and the carnal church member has to do with the Holy Ghost. The spiritual Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. The carnal Christian isn't or isn't sufficiently filled with the Holy Ghost. Should you realize that you are a carnal Christian, then don't be angry. God is offering you a remedy, the Holy Ghost. In some circles, the Holy Ghost is overemphasized. On the other hand, in other circles, he is neglected. May the Lord lead us on the path to the biblical middle. Comparison, the early church and the church in the end times. When we compare the early church with the present day church, we observe that the early church must have been predominantly made up of spiritual people. The book of Acts shows that this was the reason for their quick and positive development. They had no other aid, but they had the Holy Ghost. We have excellent aids in abundance, but we have a deficiency of the Holy Spirit. Remember what A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Ghost were taken away from our church today, 95% of what we do would continue and no one would notice the difference. If the Holy Ghost had withdrawn from the early church, then 95%, this means almost everything of what they were doing would have stopped and everyone would have noticed the difference. Have we learned to get along without the Holy Ghost? Does the church today consist primarily of carnal Christians? As a consequence, are we often powerless and to a large extent have no victories? Does a carnal attitude have something to do with the fact that we only have weak church growth in many places? Do many of the serious problems in many areas come from carnal attitudes? We will notice more and more that our personal and mutual central problem is the lack of the Holy Spirit. In the personal area, we can quickly change this with God's help. The following statement made for ministers naturally applies to everyone. Johannes Mega said, Paul differentiates between spiritual and carnal Christians, between those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and those who have no room for the Holy Spirit in their lives, baptized with the Holy Ghost, but not filled with the Holy Ghost. For a minister, this means that I can have sound theological training, be well-versed in the basic biblical languages, and skillfully practice exegesis. I can have received the great biblical truths intellectually and understood them and be well-versed in the dogmatic theology of different centuries. I can have a sound grasp of homiletics and preach relevant and realistic sermons, and despite all my knowledge and talents, not be filled with the Holy Ghost. Books, education, good technical equipment, even charisma form a substitute for the missing spirit-filled life. Preaching, praying publicly, organizing church life, preparing evangelistic programs, giving pastoral counseling, these all can be learned and also put into practice without the Holy Ghost. Ellen G. White described this dangerous possibility as follows. The reason why there is so little of the Spirit of God manifested is that ministers learn to do without it. Johannes Mega was a pastor, evangelist, and a professor of systematic theology for many years. He worked last as secretary of the ministerial department of the Euro-African Division, now Inter-European Division, in Bern, Switzerland. He is now retired and lives in Fredenso, Germany.
To summarize, being carnal means living by normal human powers and abilities without the Holy Ghost or an insufficient quantity of the Holy Spirit. The main obstacle in carnal Christianity. The great ethics of the Bible, loving your enemy, forgiving people for everything, overcoming sin, etc., can only be achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit, not with human effort. This shows us that the main problem in carnal Christianity is that it is a life solely in human strength. We can't do God's will alone in our own strength. Let's read a few Bible verses to this topic. Isaiah 64 verse 6, And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Jeremiah 13 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Ezekiel 36 26 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Romans 8, 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And NIV, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Ellen White said very clearly and accurately, he who is trying to reach heaven by his own works in keeping the law is attempting an impossibility. Man cannot be saved without obedience, but his works should not be of himself. Christ should work in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. I think these references show sufficiently that we are not capable of doing God's will without the Holy Ghost. Our main concern is that we always need to make a decision for God's will and that God gives us the strength to implement it. This understanding of the doctrine of righteousness by faith is extremely important and liberating. However, we can't discuss it in detail here. What could happen when someone tries to do something that exceeds their strength? What happens when I often realize, I can't do it, now I've failed again? I think that to some degree, we experience disappointments. I think this problem is much more prominent in the younger generation rather than the older one. Older people are used to a stronger sense of duty, obedience in the family, school and business. Thus, they aren't as easily annoyed by a disappointment as younger people are. But the problem is equally present in young and old. Only a younger person notices it more distinctly. Traveling the path of faith in their own strength is the foremost problem of every carnal Christian, whether he knows it or not. How do we try to solve this problem? One person may pray more intensely for God's help and decide to try harder. Another person may think that we shouldn't be so narrow-minded. Now he starts to take things more casually and feels freer. Still another completely abandons his faith and may even feel better. The only problem is that these apparent solutions are false solutions because the consequences will come sooner or later. The correct way is to take God's laws seriously because they were given in love and are for our own good. However, we need God's strength for this. The right way is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit with increasing joy, motivation, strength, fruitfulness, and victory. The Central Problem 
I think we have recognized that this mostly has to do with carnal Christianity. Isn't it becoming clearer and clearer why Jesus doesn't want any lukewarm followers? They don't have life in abundance like God wants to give us, and they are a bad example, even though most of them don't even know it. The problem is much more serious than we think. Half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels, for their deceptive words and non-committal position lead many astray. In the book Christ Our Righteousness by Arthur G. Daniels, we read the following. But formalism is something extremely deceptive and destructive. It is the hidden unexpected cliff which the church has threatened to shatter on many times throughout the centuries. Paul warned us that this form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3.5, without God's power, without being filled by the Holy Ghost, would be one of the dangers of the last days and admonishes us not to be taken in by this comfortable, self-deceiving attitude. Possible factors leading to carnal Christianity. The following factors or reasons are things which can lead to carnal Christianity. Number one, ignorance. We haven't devoted ourselves enough to the topic of life with the Holy Ghost, or we haven't found the key for putting it into practice. Number two, unbelief or small of faith. Being filled with the Holy Ghost has a prerequisite of completely surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. This too could happen because of ignorance, or maybe because we are afraid that the Lord will lead us differently than what we want. This means that we don't trust God's love and wisdom enough. Number three, erroneous notions. A person can think they are filled with the Holy Spirit even though they aren't in reality or not sufficiently. This seems to be the most frequent problem. Number four, being too busy. People are so overburdened that they think they don't have any or enough time to maintain a relationship with Christ or they take the time but don't make any progress in connecting with God. Number five, hidden sins, perhaps missing reparation. This is like a short circuit, meaning there is no connection with God's power. Number six, act mostly according to their feelings. God's word says, the righteous live by faith. Do I make decisions by trusting God or according to my feelings? This statement from Roger Monod really impressed me. The spirits would encourage people to listen to their feelings instead of the word of Christ and his prophets. In no surer way could the spirits obtain control of people's lives without the individuals realizing what was happening. Why should I ask for the Holy Ghost, even though I am already filled with the Holy Ghost? On one hand, the Holy Ghost was given to us in order to stay in us. On the other hand, we should continually ask by faith for the Holy Ghost. How do we solve this apparent contradiction? On one hand, Jesus said in John 14, 17, For he, the Holy Ghost, dwells with you and will be in you. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, when Jesus taught about prayer, he said in Luke 11, 9 through 13, Ask, and it will be given you. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ephesians 5, 18 says, 
be filled with the Spirit. In both cases, in the original Greek text, it is a continual request. Solution E.G. White says, Yet the operations of the Spirit are always in harmony with the written word. As in the natural, so in the spiritual world. The natural life is preserved moment by moment by divine power. Yet it is not sustained by a direct miracle, but through the use of blessings placed within our reach. So the spiritual life is sustained by the use of those means that providence has supplied. If the follower of Christ would grow up unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4.13, he must eat of the bread of life and drink of the water of salvation. He must watch and pray and work in all things, giving heed to the instructions of God in his word. We received life at our birth. In order to sustain this life, we have to eat, drink, exercise, etc. It is exactly the same in our spiritual life. We have the Holy Ghost through our baptism by water and the Spirit born again, so that this spiritual life remains in us our whole life. In order to sustain this spiritual life, it is necessary to use the spiritual means that God provided, the Holy Ghost, God's Word, prayer, our testimony, etc. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. E.G. White says, Concerning this, abiding in Christ means a constant receiving of His Spirit, a life of unreserved surrender to His service. That is why we need to daily ask for the Holy Ghost by faith and surrender ourselves to the Lord every morning with everything we have and are. Where do I stand? Now the most important thing is to discern which group I am in. Where do I stand? When my dear mother was 20, she answered a man's question by saying that she wasn't interested in faith. He then replied, And if you died in the night? This comment hit her hard, but it had a very positive effect. It led her to make a decision for Jesus and his church. Maybe this question will help you too. Suppose you died today. Heart attack. Accident. Do you have the assurance of eternal life with Jesus Christ? Don't remain uncertain. Something alarming. I am very alarmed as I have begun to understand the great magnitude of this problem. I have thought and prayed about if I should really add this paragraph. I am taking the chance since it is a matter of happiness in life now and eternal life and it also especially has an influence on marriage and family as well as the church and occupation. I don't know who it applies to but I want to be of help to the persons concerned since I have been helped as well. It is crucial that everyone that is carnal realizes this, otherwise he can't change with God's help. God in his love wants to richly bless us through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, through the Holy Ghost. As a result, great loss can be avoided and immeasurable blessing can be experienced. And the wonderful thing is that we can quickly remedy the situation with God's help in more detail in chapters 3 and 5. The problem of carnal Christianity is described in the Bible in different ways. Individual groups and the people in the groups can have very different focal points. But the central problem is the same. 
the different descriptions are in the flesh or carnal. Romans 8, 1 through 17, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, Galatians 5, 16 through 21, and other texts. Foolish, the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. The state of the church represented by the foolish virgins is also spoken of as a Laodicean state. Lukewarm, the letter to Laodicea, Revelation 3, 14 to 21. I could wish you were cold or hot, Revelation 3.15. Isn't it amazing? Jesus prefers cold to lukewarm. What is his reason for this? Half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels, for their deceptive words and non-committal position lead many astray. The infidel shows his colors. The lukewarm Christian deceives both parties. He is neither a good worldling nor a good Christian. Satan uses him to do a work that no one else can do. Not born again, or hasn't remained in this condition. John 3, 1 through 21. The new birth is a rare experience in this age of the world. This is the reason why there are so many perplexities in the church. Many, so many who assume the name of Christ are unsanctified and unholy. They have been baptized, but they were buried alive. Self did not die and therefore they did not rise to newness of life in Christ. A form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. 2 Timothy 3.5 Arthur G. Daniels says the following about this. But formalism is something extremely deceptive and destructive. It is the hidden unexpected cliff which the church has threatened to shatter on many times throughout the centuries. Paul warned us that this form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3.5, without God's power, without being filled by the Holy Ghost, would be one of the dangers of the last days and admonishes us not to be taken in by this comfortable self-deceiving attitude. And there are also some shocking statements in Ellen White's writings. Very, very few. In my dream, a sentinel stood at the door of an important building and asked everyone who came for entrance, Have ye received the Holy Ghost? A measuring line was in his hand, and only very, very few were admitted into the building. Not one in twenty are ready. It is a solemn statement that I make to the church, that not one in twenty whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Why are we so sleepy? Why are the soldiers of Christ so sleepy and indifferent? Because they have so little real connection with Christ. Because they are so destitute of His Spirit. A great danger. I will not here dwell upon the shortness and uncertainty of life, but there is a terrible danger. A danger not sufficiently understood in delaying to yield to the pleading voice of God's Holy Spirit, in choosing to live in sin, for such this delay really is. What is at the core of sin? Because they do not believe in me. John 16, 9. The sign that we really believe and trust Jesus is that we completely surrender ourselves to him. It has to do with our complete surrender, our willingness to follow him in everything. I want to say it again. I took the chance of adding this very serious paragraph because it has to do with our personal happiness in life 
and our eternal life, and also with our influence especially on our marriages, families, and churches. Questions and more questions. The crucial question is if you are filled with the Holy Ghost or not. But when is a person filled with the Holy Ghost? What are the necessary prerequisites? What are the positive results of a life with the Holy Spirit? What happens when you erroneously think you are filled with the Holy Ghost? Be thankful for the signals. Thank the Lord that we are devoting ourselves more to the topic of revival. I think that our great and marvelous God has important reasons for presently giving us impulses by the Holy Spirit for a revival. Could these be the reasons? He wants to relieve our deficiency and lead us out of our Laodicea-like state. He wants to prepare us for the soon second coming of Jesus and the special time just before it happens. He wants to bring about the great closing revival, Revelation 18, 1-2, in the world through those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelation 12, 17, and have the faith of Jesus, Revelation 12, 14. Let us also thank God that every carnal Christian can quickly become a spiritual Christian and that everyone who lives in the Holy Ghost can grow to the fullness of Christ. This is now our next job. Now for one more experience at the end of this chapter. New motivation and inner joy. A sister in the church gave me the booklet Steps to Personal Revival. I was overwhelmed by the contents of the booklet. I had long been searching for something like this and had finally found it. I then started to organize my spiritual life, and only then did I realize that I had to do something. I surrendered myself completely to Jesus. From then on, the Lord woke me up very early and gave me time for my personal devotions. Every day I studied a chapter in the 40 days book. I noticed clearly that my relationship with Jesus grew greater. It became deeper and more intimate. The Holy Ghost was working on me. After the 40 days book, I studied book two of the 40 days. Since then, I have studied each of these books four times. I can't do anything but daily ask for the fellowship with God. The results are awesome because my new motivation and inner joy can't remain unnoticed. During this time, I have had the privilege of having a lot of experiences with God. I also looked for opportunities to share my experience. A close relationship with Jesus makes many things become unimportant and needless cares are solved. I hope and pray that many will have this experience that I have been privileged to have. H.S.